0: The following podcast is a part of Radiomisfits.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by TweakedAudio.com. Get headphones, earbuds, and accessories from TweakedAudio.com. Just enter the discount code comics That's all one word at the checkout. You'll get 33% off your entire order, free worldwide shipping, and a limited lifetime warranty on everything you buy. That's TweakedAudio.com. And now...
0: It's time for Caffeinated Comics. A lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles. All fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. My hey, is Kevin of
1: Comics, and I'm your host, John Clark. As most of you know, I wrote comics in the mid-90s. It was one of the first things I did getting out of school. Uh, Dana Romero, uh, who is on the show a lot, is also doing comics and wanted to talk to me about the process. So we did it on Facebook Live. It was a live stream from Kimmerer's Comics, uh, and I recorded it, and now I can show it to you as an episode. So uh, she asks a lot of really insightful questions, and it was a great conversation, and let's get to it.
0: Hey, Kamara's Comics. Uh, this is Danny live with uh, John Clark. Uh, we are doing the new livestream stream special, Writing Comics in the 90s, um, which John happens to have a few comics that he wrote in the 90s. So
1: They didn't sell that well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so pretty fitting, yeah. Yeah, we'll be talking a lot about, like, the industry at the time sure. and, uh, you know, just the general process of getting into comics and writing it, especially during that time period. Um, but first, uh, just a little bit of history. Um, so John is the host of the weekly podcast, Caffeinated Comics. Which you've
1: been on many times. I have
0: been on, yes. It is super fun and it is awesome to listen to. He's wonderful conversation, so definitely check them out on Facebook. Um, you're the lead singer of two bands now. Two
1: bands. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: and then, of course, you've just been a friend of the shop and a customer since basically when we first since
1: opened Since opening, yeah. I had yeah. moved to the neighborhood about a year before the shop first opened, so... And I had been driving all over the suburbs just looking for a decent enough comic shop. Yeah, so when right one there. opened in the town, I was working at home and I basically lived here for the first
0: couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I do remember when I um, was just like volunteering for the mm-hmm. shop or I was just kind of in as a, a customer or a friend. I do remember seeing you on like shipment days and yeah. things like that. You know, yeah. just like hanging out, which that's awesome. Like that's how we build the community here. Yeah. Um, Okay, so um, getting on to the topic at hand, uh, we'll do a, just a little bit of an ease into it. First off, how did you get into comics in general? Reading them? Yeah.
1: Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think my first actual memory of superheroes would be Spider-Man on The Electric Company. Okay. And um, and the Adam West Batman reruns. Yeah, when, yeah that's a good
0: then, place to start.
1: <laughs> yeah, when I was about three or four, I guess about nursery school, I would watch those religiously. Super Friends was new at the time. That was on. Mm, yeah. And then Star Wars came in and just kind of took everything off the board for me. Oh, okay. Until Return of the Jedi. Around uh, between Star Wars and Empire, I was into nothing but Star Wars. But, yeah, yeah. And then um, that's what got me into comics. Uh, after Empire, Raiders Lost Ark came out, which is still my favorite movie. Mm, okay. And so I started reading uh, my first comic book that I ever really bought myself. I would get Richie Riches and Di- Archie Digests, but the first actual book I bought was Indiana Jones Number 1. Okay. It was actually a really great book. John Byrne wrote and drew it.
0: You're still... I mean, even with Star Wars and Indiana Jones, like, mm-hmm. even just being in the film part of it, that's still in the geekdom yeah no i yeah i was
1: definitely a geek from birth
0: yeah yeah but
1: so i had been so i was reading indiana jones and i started reading star wars because i loved the indiana jones comic i thought all right the star wars comic must be good yeah and then i realized those were both marvel and then a friend of mine this would have been fourth grade maybe um maybe fifth uh my friend in class was reading everything he was the kid who had the subscription to fangoria and starlog he was the deep he had the stephen king book he um he read every Marvel.
0: So so is he like borrowing things out to you or, or like you he could was read when you were with he him? He was giving me
1: recommendations. So he okay. said he said you really need to uh, read the X Men and I'm old enough where I said who are the X Men because okay. they were in no other media. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah At the time
1: and that was would have been around the time that like Paul Smith was drawing the book and then John Romita Jr. coming in and uh, so I picked up an issue of X Men and an issue of Spider Man because. I loved Spider-Man, and both of them at the end of the issue went into The Secret Wars.
0: Oh, wow. So I was like, yeah, okay, I So kind I get of it. a perfect transition yeah. into, like, first major event, but, like, as it's happening.
1: Right. So I figured, okay, I guess I have to read this The Secret Wars, and at that point, I think I was also reading JoJo, Joe, and I was reading, okay. uh, but everything was Marvel. Yeah. And so I was like, I, I guess I'll read The Secret Wars number one, and then it just, it hit me like a punch in the face. Yeah. There were so many characters I'd never heard of, I was like... I was like, "Who's Ultron? Who's Who's Galactus? Who's the She-Hulk?"
0: That's the thing. Like at at their core and at their base, like those characters are so iconic, and you know whether you're Marvel or DC or whoever, they just they catch you so yeah. much because there's just these weird otherworld possibilities that you otherwise wouldn't have thought of. Right, and by um,
1: the by the end of that series, I was into everything. Yeah, and then I was I was a diehard reader of. It was Spider Man and X Men and Iron Man and then West Coast Avengers. Um, I, I was total Marvel. And right around the time I was in high school, about the late 80s, I started, which is traditionally the time you age out of comic books, mm-hmm. or used to be, yeah, until yeah. my generation did it. Um, all of a sudden, The Dark Knight Returns came out, Watchmen came out. And another friend of mine who's now, I think, an archbishop. uh, The (laughs)
0: more you know. And another
1: friend of mine uh, in my high school said, well, you have to start reading DC.
0: And uh, Again, a good point to jump on. It
1: was. I said In in sophomore year, I got pneumonia. Mm. So we were leaving the doctor, and the doctor said, he can't go out for a month. He's got to stay in bed. And uh, my parents took me to the bookstore, and they said, you can get any book you want because you're going to be in bed. And Mm. I was like, well... My friend recommended Dark Knight Returns, and all I knew about Batman was Adam West.
0: Oh, my God, yes. So so talk about a contrast. uh, Yeah, and in that
1: month, I read it like five times. I got my father to read it, and then uh, I snuck out while I still had pneumonia and uh, snuck out to the newsstand and got the newest issues of Batman and Detective because I was like, what are the monthlies like? And I had a 102-degree fever, um, and those were actually good (laughs) issues to get because it was... Detective was the Norm Bray Fogel run, mm-hmm. who um, unfortunately has recently passed away.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and he would, he had been on our podcast and he was a wonderful guy. And it was the first appearance of the Ventroquist and Scarface. And then the Batman was the f- uh, the Ten Nights of the Beast, the first appearance of the Cagey Beast.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, a lot of that stuff, even just the general Batman and detective comic stuff around the time, was like starting to emulate a lot of that darker tone. Yeah. Um, like, it was very clear that they were like, Alright, this is what's selling, this is what popular, let's go all exactly. in, you know.
1: And then I was a little bit older, so I was then I was all into DC and then Yeah. And really since then it's it's been a weight of Marvel and DC, of who I'm liking more at the time, but I never quit yeah. comics. The the most I ever whittle down to is the Batman title and Amazing Spider-Man, but I've never gone a month in uh, God, I guess 35 years now without buying a monthly comic book
0: yeah and I feel like that's a pretty common experience for a lot of subscribers who are really into superheroes where it is just sometimes it's Marvel 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 Mm -hmm. sometimes it's DC DC and and it waxes and wanes I guess Um, so uh, kind of on a different take from that um, at what point were you interested in uh, writing
1: that's a really good question. Uh, it goes back, I mean, in kindergarten and first grade, when we had the creative writing exercise in English, I would light up.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and everybody always said I had a really vivid imagination. And a lot of my childhood was action figures. Um, I'm of the age where uh, I got the tail end Amigo and then the beginning of the Star Wars, the counter figures. Mm, yeah. And so I was mostly in my room and I had it, when I was in Star Wars, I had everything. Yeah. And very quickly, I started to think, oh, well, what are the stories I can make with them?
0: Yeah. And
1: some kids, you know, there's some kids that just took them and banged them together. Yeah,
0: they just play, and then it's one and done, and they move on right. to the next thing.
1: But when I was a kid, I would try to get the voice right, and I, when I would talk, I would try to get Han Solo to talk differently than Luke Skywalker, yeah. and, uh, and then as I got older, I would remember what I did yesterday, and that would leave off, and I would give myself cliffhangers
0: and oh. my mom
1: would say it's time for bed, and I'd have a guy up on the bookcase. And yeah, be like, dun, they're dun, gonna push him off, and I'm like, yeah, when yeah. I get home from school, I have to decide. And that just kept going. And even in high school, I started to write them down in notebooks.
0: I was just about to say, was it almost like like a dream journal type thing, but instead of dreams, it's like, okay, well, this is like this thing that I played out. And man, it's really sticking with me, and I really like how that went. And then you just kind of start jotting it down. Yeah,
1: I wrote it down like a diary, but it was like a diary from shifting perspectives where oh, it was cool. where it was okay I played with Batman toys yesterday so this is written this is Batman's journal of what happened uh, but then the okay. next day I was playing Spider-Man and then it would be sometimes I would write them in different ink and sometimes I'd put different headers on it maybe like well here's my Spider-Man story and then as I got more serious about comic book writing those stories started to get more of a format. And I still have like five or six full marble notebooks. Really? Of different storylines. Like these were my X-Men stories, and these were my Spider-Man stories, and these were my Iron Man stories. And here's a crossover where I bring everything in.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, one, I would like to see those at some point. All right, you they're ever, terrible. I brave enough to share them. <laughs> uh, and the second thing is I will actually have questions that kind of follow up on that, okay. that uh, line of thought. Uh, a little bit later, obviously. Um, so, I mean, very naturally from the beginning it was like comics writing or just writing about superheroes about these characters and like geekdom whether yeah it's Star Wars yeah or... i think
1: i was i most out of all the medium i think i was most obsessed with television okay. um but i didn't see a way to get there and comics were were a lot simpler comics was like i as i got older i started nervous oh this guy wrote it this guy drew it yeah then yeah. they were kind of done
0: yeah you
1: know uh a tv show the credits would just go and go and go and I, and I would think i don't know all these people i don't have a camera
0: yeah yeah it's it's almost like you got to the storyboard phase with a mm-hmm. comic book only you are doing you know vastly more detail and more right. description and, and i wasn't
1: taking even that seriously because my art skills hit a wall by third or fourth grade i realized i'm not that good um, and as I did comics and worked with artists, I realized I'm never gonna be on that level. So I didn't take it very seriously. And then um, in college, my band broke up, and it was, I was like 19, and I thought this was gonna be it. I'm probably not even gonna graduate college because we're gonna get a record contract and we're gonna tour. We were nowhere near that. But I remember talking to, to another friend uh, at the time and, and saying, when the band broke up, I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do now. And he, and he said, you know what, every time you tell me about the stories, that you, you make up with your action figures, they're just as good as other comics. Yeah. Do you ever think about doing that seriously? And it was a fantasy I'd always had, but sure. it was the last couple of years of college where I was like, all right, and I started to sit down and say, how do you submit plots? How do you write scripts? Yeah. And uh, there weren't a lot of reference materials. The best thing I saw was Sandman, um, the Dream Country trade paperback, had Neil Gaiman's script in the back. Yeah. And that was yeah. the first comic script I'd ever seen. Yeah. And that that was the first time I said, okay, this is what somebody who doesn't draw how they can make a comic book.
0: And and thank goodness that was the script you saw as opposed to like Alan Moore's scripts. Yes. Where you're like, oh, I have to write like full-length novels and extra descriptions yeah. of these things. I've never
1: finished it's, an Alan Moore script. It's
0: it's like it's kind of amazing to me how differently people can lay them out. Like I'm kind of budding into doing art and stuff like that for Mm -hmm. comics and just seeing one person the way that they lay it out who has been in the industry for a while and kind of, uh, it's, it's less about like, oh, they know how it works. Whereas they know like specific terminology, whereas someone else who's like, well, I'm just getting started and this is sort of a pet project, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's still in a script format, but it's just... There's just something different about the language that they use. Right, and I've seen
1: screenplays, but yeah. uh, what really turned me around was the fact that the full when seeing a full script was broken into panels. Yeah. And I found that a little daunting. I was like, wait, I have to decide how many panels are on this page? But that's the art. Yeah. And in, you know, uh, the, what they call the Marvel method isn't used anymore, but Stan would just say, hey, here's the story. Yeah, and yeah. But he was giving it to people like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko that knew what they were doing, and I was like, well, I could do that. But um, the more I made myself break that down, the more it taught me the craft.
0: Yeah, it, it, and it's also sort of like, depending on who you're working with, some people will want very specific breakdowns of how how long does it run the length of the page or whatever. Right. And some people are more just, just tell me generally how many and let me know if there's one panel that you want emphasized or something. But otherwise, like the artist is like, eh, I'll take care of it. Right. Um, Okay, so I mean that was that was from college. that mm-hmm. was your mindset, yeah, so fast forward then to um so the first thing uh this was the first project you worked on, yes, the horseman, yeah,
1: okay. that was still in college i had uh I published the first issue, which was a zero issue because it was the nineties uh yeah, it before... is
0: uh, and and it got like.
1: They got, the gold gold they got a gold variant, it got a platinum <laughs> variant, there were many, many variants. There was uh, many ash cans versions of it. Um, I actually got that published before I graduated. So oh, okay. I was very, very lucky. I, I ended up staying an extra year in college, I did five years because I was going to get a teaching certificate because I figured, okay, all struggling writers are teachers. Yeah. And my yeah. father was a teacher and I was like, I'll go into that. I turned out substitute teaching junior high for about three months and I went back to working at a comic bookstore oh, I was wow. not great at it. But in that fifth year I got the the Horseman published and that was a book that actually, the owner of my comic store, Hank Quan, who still owns Bulletproof Comics, they hmm. just celebrated their 25th anniversary in Brooklyn. Wow! Um, I was working at that store, and he was friends with Bill Tucci, who was doing She. Okay. And at the time, we were do- we were handling a lot of exclusive variants of She, and She was selling through the roof.
0: Was She from Kevlar?
1: No. No. So um, okay. that was Crusade. Now okay. it's Billy Tucci's company. So. Uh, as they were doing these signings, Hank was a fil- went to film school and he was like, "Oh, I would like to make a comic." So they started talking about one, and they did the first issue, which I don't even have anymore. was actually a Horseman She crossover, and that Crusade yeah. put out. And then they did it, and then the last minute, they asked me to do some like editorial page. So my first part was in a Crusade book. And then after that, um, Hank started self-publishing, okay. and that was Kevlar Comics because Kevlar is another word for bulletproof. Yeah, yeah. So. Uh,
0: yeah, because I, I do distinctly remember uh, there was a while when when we like first started talking and mm-hmm. like I'd been on the first podcast uh, with you guys, and uh, I was still like uh, a little intimidated to like ask about. I'm always intimidated okay. with by other creators, like just because it's sort of. It's an awe thing because it's like, oh, you have published something or you put something out. So um, when I was first trying to look up your name and try to find right. the comics that you'd done, I saw that she crossover yep. one and I was like, I'm not positive that this is him or not. So <laughs> I'll just, I'll wait to, yeah, ask when I'm more comfortable. And I did. And then, you know, sure enough, this, yeah, this showed up. And so, yeah.
1: Right. And then that was my job for a while. I still worked Wednesdays so I could get my books. Yeah. Um, but... I made enough to like have a roommate and moved out,
0: wow. uh, and
1: I thought that was going to be it. I really figured, all right, I'll do this series until um, Marvel and DC start buying things, and that and that's yeah. where my career is going to go. And I, I, it was moving along pretty well. The artists that I worked with were fairly well known. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to a lot of conventions. I got to get to the other side of the table, which was a big deal yeah. for me um, to get like your own lanyard. That's a talent and. Uh, it just made things a lot easier and, you know, there were there were conventions Net- where I was sitting...
0: Networking, I'm sure, it was much easier. Yeah, I was in
1: Artist Alley next to John Mated Jr. and, you know, Bernie Wrightson and, and these, these people that uh, then my artist knew and introduced me to. And I met a lot of big names at the time. Yeah. And it was right around the time that Marvel and DC was starting to remember me yeah. when I would come back up. Because I was still writing pitches. In that action figure kind of way, I learned how to do one-page plots. Oh, okay. And um, a piece of advice I got. This was around the time that Marvel Comics Presents was around. Uh huh. And they said, what you do is take a C or D level character. Don't write Spider-Man. Don't write Batman. Yeah, well, that's like, gotta
0: be hard to pitch. Right.
1: And, yeah, because they and have convince that all the time. someone anyway. Yeah. And it's probably different now. I mean, I've had friends that have done backups in Spider-Man now that haven't done much. But I was constantly like, what's my Darkhawk story? What's my Namor story? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's my Martian Manhunter solo story?
0: I want to read your Namor story. Uh,
1: I can't remember, but I know I wrote one. Um,
0: <laughs> At some point, we, we will have to investigate that. Yeah, I
1: did it. write a dinner that Sue made Reed and Namor go on, and they have to go on once a year to get along. does That's it doesn't fantastic. Go well. I want
0: to read that. Yeah,
1: because it just becomes about their jealousy. <laughs> Yeah. And, and Reed finds out that Namor has the same dinner with Dr. Doom every year. Yeah, yeah. And that, also, that was one story I had. Um, but right around the time that I felt like I was starting to get into the community, that's when the crash happened.
0: Yeah, and, and that's really why I wanted to talk about this mm-hmm. uh, sort of specifically as writing in the 90s is because of that crash. So, I mean, essentially you came to work on Horseman just through networking and through knowing yeah. people and working at right. a comic shop and all that. Um, And then it seems like, uh, so this other comic he did, Adam, uh, a superhero book, seems like it came right after It
1: did. In fact, uh, I didn't do the last issue of Horseman, because I was already doing Adam, and uh, Horseman was running out of money, and I figured, okay, I'll launch this new series. And that was, I found through the artist, um, an artist friend of mine that I had worked with a few times, uh, he found this guy that was making a toy and he wanted he wanted a toy design and he wanted an animated series but the animated series was going to be expensive so he said okay i'll have i do a comic book
0: yeah and it, it's co- the brand is toy man Comics. yeah
1: there was a 12 inch figure which i have oh no way there, yeah there, um and that that's another that's a story in and of itself okay but that was the first <laughs> book i edited so at horseman hank was running it and i was scripting it Okay, And he's nominally, I was the editor, but I would tell the artist to change something and they wouldn't do it.
0: Yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> or I would They're say, like, yeah, okay, John. Yeah. Here. I'd say,
1: why are you late? <laughs> and they'd say, here's a free beer. <laughs> it was, uh, Adam Was where it was like, I picked the talent. Um, the artist uh, who was originally on it, started to fall behind. So I found a penciler and teamed them together. Yeah, We created the logo. We created the design and we pitched six issues. We wrote out plotted in row six issues but only the first one came out
0: yeah i guess it just the the thing that impresses me still though is that these guys seem to come out right as a pretty steep part of the comic crash was happening like 97 was marvel filing for bankruptcy but even leading up to that there was a lot of Tumultuous nature in the well. The, cl- anyway. the crash wasn't like it wasn't
1: like the Great Depression. It wasn't like one day everything tanked. Right. It, it was, was gradual. This, it was this spiraling where it I kind of got in on a lot of things that were getting on the tail end of the boom. Mm-hmm. So where the boom really happens with the boom begins with the Tim Burton Batman, and then they can't stop printing Batman comics. Yeah. And then uh, then they start doing Spider Man Number One, X Men Number One. Those blow up. Those guys move out and create image. Now there's a whole company that's blowing up. And that's when the industry just really expanded.
0: The the speculator market. The speculators
1: came in, yeah. yeah. And that's like 92, 93. So around 94, I'm talking to a lot of people that that are trying to get in. Around 94, I created a book for a company that never got off the ground where we did some character designs and we did a first page. Okay. and it was an idea I shopped around for a while later, okay. but it never got made, and then and it was uh, a year or two later. It seemed like, it was one of those things where it seemed like it was gonna recover every few months.
0: Yeah, mm. I, because like you said, it, it wasn't a very steep drop off. It was, you know, you're getting to the top of the mountain and here's this huge success that's going right. on. And it's as if people started like rolling down the hill thinking like, eh, whatever, it's fine, we're still good. But they've like lost control of the car. And it, <laughs> yeah, know? and it honestly,
1: it took until the X Men movie. It took until 2000 for things to really turn around. Yeah, uh, because it was just get, it just got a little worse every year, and you just started to see the desperation on the major players. Of or by 98, that's when Marvel sells the Fantastic Four and Avengers Image yeah. because they're just like we don't know what to do. Right, and then that has a small spike, and then they then they try to take it back with Years Were Born. Um, they begin to double down on the writers less than the artists yeah. uh, that's another thing at the time I got in art was driving the entire the entire truck yeah because the image guys were all writing their own books and they weren't well written but no one seemed to care
0: yeah they were they were following them because they had seen yeah like the Jim Lee X-Men right
1: and by the and end of that. the 90s you start to have that turn of like people like Kurt Blisiak and Mark Waid are starting to become the superstars that Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld were five years ago right and They helped, and then people like Brian Michael Bendis come on the scene, and that kind of takes it into the next millennium, which is when things start to stabilize. We still don't have sales that we had in the '90s, but we have billion-dollar movies on these characters.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and and you know, recovery is is sort of like, um, you know, like the The publishers themselves are not really tanking or going out of business or right. anything like that. Shops are probably getting hit the hardest. Yeah, um, and by this,
1: then, back then, during the speculative boom, it was a lot of these shops opened overnight. They yeah. weren't. They weren't like Chimera's, which um, comes from a love and history of the medium. It was like. We were selling baseball cards, <laughs> yeah. and now we've got in, some comic. There were a lot of comic and baseball card shops, yeah. and you walked in and it was white
0: slot wall. I, I almost feel like I'm going to see that again now. Like I've had so many people call me about Batman Damned, for example, mm-hmm. and just guys that are literally like, I have never read a comic in my life, but I bought 15 copies of Batman Damned, right. and like I want to open a store. And it's like well <laughs> yeah. Good luck. you can't just do that you know but you can't survive on that anyway but so just because of the way that 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 time was going because it was sort of like eh, are we okay oh yeah we're okay right. and not really um did you have like a lot of stake or a lot of risk in working on these projects and submitting the projects or was it more just like you know what like Regardless of what's going on around me, like let's just do it. Let's just try it.
1: Yeah, I think I was really, I was in my early and mid twenties,
0: mm-hmm.
1: just graduating school, uh, and I was really scared that I was going to get in it, locked in a dead end job, mm. that I was going to do something that was not creative or fulfilling, and um, and that would be my life. That I'd be one of those people that just gave up on the creative dream. So, I just lived on less and less and less and yeah. less, and I was the poorest of all of my friends. Uh, until back, all of the '90s,
0: I think a lot of uh, millennials can relate to that. Yeah, at this point. yeah,
1: yeah. I'm a Gen Xer, but a lot, a lot of us were like that. Where, yeah, um, and a lot of my friends were like that. I was in the Creative Kids Club, so it was a lot of musicians and actors and. A lot of people working retail and bartending yeah and um yeah just it's, trying it's to your make things happen yeah, I,
0: you have the full-time job to make it happen and then on the side you do these projects of love and, right you know yeah and
1: i was just trying to i was just trying to find a way to write for a living i think that was the most important thing for me to do okay. and um i kind of went at it from different angles comics was one of them and i, I would have loved to have just stayed in comics it's Still one, one of my dreams, but I, would, I wrote greeting cards on the side for a long time. And, oh. then, uh, and then my career really turned after the crash happened. Um, I found out there was this action figure studio when I was working on Adam, actually. Um, a, a good friend of mine, all these stories happened with a, a, good, a good friend in the right place. Yeah, yeah. Um, a friend of mine from college was helping out at an action figure studio, he, and he had a law degree, and he was helping them do their contracts. And he said, do you have somebody to make this action figure? I said, well, I'm on the comic side, I don't know. And I asked, and they were like, oh no, like, this company didn't quite have a business plan. Uh, but then he took me over to Art Asylum okay. in Brooklyn, and uh, they designed the action figure. And then, um, then they called me up when, after the first book didn't happen, then they called me up and they were like, well, we're working on a pitch. Can you come down and work on this? Hmm. And okay. a little bit of that, I went down there and I ran to people I knew. They were guys this is around 98 now so the crash had wiped a lot of guys out yeah so i come down to the studio in brooklyn and i run into people that i friends of mine that i knew working at crusade
0: okay
1: and um or that were friends of mine of of artists from the horsemen people that i knew in conventions because sure. they weren't getting work so they were designing figures for toys okay so you remember the. The Marvel figures in the late 90s started to take this McFarlane turn. Yeah, yeah. That, um, where I was, was one of the places doing that. Okay. So um, they would did like the big apocalypse from the Onslaught series and like the Spider Man, the first Spider Man that had all the webbing sculpted in.
0: And so was it, w- like, when you were working with that, were mm-hmm. you writing pitches? Were you designing? Were yeah, I
1: you... was, no, I, was, I wasn't designing. I tried painting for about a week. They told me to stop it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're like, this is not for you. We're gonna put you. Yeah, <laughs> they gave
1: they gave me an accessory. We were doing the WWE at the same time because Dwight like mm. just had the license. Yeah. and they gave me the accessory for I think it was Sting had a plaid shirt tied around his waist, mm. and they gave me the plaid. <laughs> and I'm trying to paint every <laughs> the, black the and pattern. white yeah. square. And then uh, the art director was just like, you can't do this anymore. Yeah, and it was a separate check, so I was like, really, I need to because I was the poorest guy. Anyone know? And they were like, you really can't.
0: But they they let you try. At yeah, least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and they gave you the good old fashioned Yeah, we're all
1: friends to this day. We got along really well. It was a it was very much guys in their twenties working to all hours of the night, making each other laugh all the time and uh and I really had two jobs there. I wrote um I did pitches for independent projects and to get more work, like I wrote an entire video in Klingon so we could get more Playmates work. We were doing some of the Playmates Star Trek. Yeah. And then they Did were... you have
0: like an actual dictionary? Oh that yeah, yeah, like, and it was the
1: early days of the internet and there were a lot of pausing of tapes and going, okay that phrase means this and I'll yep. put this in because we wanted to prove to Playmates that we knew what we were talking about Yeah. and that was the one after the job. And then there were original properties we worked on. It was like, um, was like, okay, this toy could be this. And then I would go off and go, and this would be an animated series. And this would be a comic mm-hmm. book. And, and I did a lot of that. And then the other side was doing ads and doing promotion. Yeah, so, it's just
0: like expanding the brand, essentially. For, yeah. For certain toys or properties.
1: Yeah, or so we had, there was a, a magazine called Go Figure Magazine. And they gave us article space every month. So I would write articles. And I would interview the guys at the shop. Oh, cool. And um, like, We would do articles like, how was an action figure made, and, um, hey, we did the Star Trek figure that's an all CG character. How do you translate CG into plastic? And we had that ongoing relationship. So I I never took any journalism classes because I was just not extroverted enough to be the first guy to fire. Yeah. So what happened? um, And a lot of the English majors I knew were journalism guys, and I said, I'm never going to do that. And then I'm on the phone talking to City Marty Croft because they, uh, we were developing action figures based on HR Profit and stuff.
0: Mm, okay. And
1: you just, one of the things I learned uh, is that I spent a, too much time saying I do this and wanted to be the master of one thing. Yeah. And what I realized in my career is, is you can, no matter if, how much you're the expert in something, you're only gonna have as much expertise as another guy what you need to be is the person that fixes the problem
0: so so sort of jack of all trades master of none yeah in
1: in a way but i mean uh with startups you can go to the extreme of like i'm building shelves and painting Mm -hmm. but as a writer uh i just didn't turn down anything so it's like when when i was doing the comics it was also my job to write the letters column and write the solicitation copy yeah. for diamond i was
0: i was going to say one of the most fun things for me reading these guys um, after you had uh, mm-hmm. given them to us was uh like just looking at like the the final letter and back and yeah. stuff i was like oh man this is really cool yeah
1: that's like single me in my 20s <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> well it it's it's funny just again the reason why i i really wanted to think about and still talk about the time period for for these coming out you were just saying about you know like yeah we were all in like a studio of guys mm-hmm. together just making each other laugh like that's one experience that is really missing from working in comics today whether you're a writer or an artist like if you think about back in the day Marvel back in the day DC mm-hmm. like it was all these guys in a big office it's like working yeah. to get yeah it's a bullpen and now it's more, you know, we're working independently and sending things via the internet. Right. And, and so there's more reach and more opportunity to a certain degree because, you know, you can hire, I can hire a writer from New York mm-hmm. uh, to do something for me and then I do the art. Uh, whereas, you know, maybe you didn't have that contact before. Right. Um, and there,
1: there's something to be said for it. Um, one of the most fun times we had was when I was. When I was doing Horseman, um, the artists I knew knew everybody. Yeah. So, um, in fact, like, I just uh, went to Alex Ross's signing, and I said, well, I met you when I was on Horseman. And he's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, it, it, Because everybody knew everybody, and there was always a hotel room somewhere where seven guys were trying to finish somebody's deadline. Yes. And that was... That and I,
0: they're helping with inking and lettering. Yeah, and just I
1: that. have inked, I have inked a couple of issues of a DC comic that I was not supposed to. that, oh. that, I, that I do not have credit for, but I do have a copy.
0: Okay, off stream, we are one hundred percent going to talk Yeah, and I about screwed that. it up.
1: So that's <laughs> you can see a panel. You can see a mistake in my panel because some sometimes guys would just fall so far behind. They were like, like
0: whatever. Just they're do like, it. can you
1: hold a pen?
0: Yeah,
1: and. Uh, I we talk. I talked a little bit about becoming an anchor yeah. because I was like, well, I don't have the underlying structure, but I can hold the pen and I can do the line
0: weight.
1: Sure. Um, but, but there was that kind of feeling of like, and I think a lot of it is a time in your life when you don't have other commitments and you're just hanging out with your friends and
0: yeah, and you, and can,
1: you can spend all of your time with them.
0: And and that's like as much as humanly possible, especially if I'm working with like local people. I try to do, like, creative hangouts, so to speak, mm-hmm. where, you know, even if it's just, like, a drink and draw type thing. Right. You're still with other creative people, and you're talking and encouraging each other about your projects. Um, and, yeah, I, I always feel like that kind of uh, camaraderie, like, I wish that was yeah, more Yeah, it, it was good,
1: and it helped us get better, and... and uh... The, the guys I know were, uh, were New Yorkers in the 90s and would really bust each other's balls. Yeah, um, yeah I was going to say. Like, <laughs> d- you just hear in the middle of the night, what are you, drawing that guy constipated? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like the treat to, to make people better. And it's like, I love you, but your heads are too big. Yeah. <laughs> and just well, this yelling that you it was this tough love
0: Yeah, I was where gonna that say, guy's when, really
1: had to get better.
0: Right, when, when you're friends, you can... Kind of have that brutal honesty, so yeah. to speak. Um, but you're you're doing it out of place of love. You're right. doing it to try and make each other push each other more. And
1: well, everybody uh, wants each other to be better. Yes, it, it wasn't a competitive thing. It was, it was. We should all be on the best-selling books because because yeah. comics is and to this day, comics is not a zero-sum game. Mm-hmm. It's a small market, but um, you know, Marvel doesn't have to win. For DC to lose, or vice versa. Sure. You know that it it is a community.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I will say that there there is, to a certain degree, there is still that sense of constant support between Mm -hmm. um, you know like-minded artists and writers and stuff. Uh, it's more just like on Facebook like I love this post or something like that like it's just with technology evolving so does the communication aspect. Right
1: and there's a lot to be said for the social networking I mean our podcast um, I got to talk to so many heroes that I would have that I honestly would have clammed up on an autograph line yeah at conventions there were so many signings I went to where I was like I'm going to meet this person I'm going to talk to them and they're uh, I'm gonna get to know them, and then I got up to them. And I was like, eh. but yeah. on Twitter or on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, somebody posts their art, and I'm like, hey, I like that. It reminds me of this, and then we have the conversation. And sometimes that conversation leads to, hey, would you like to phone in and be on the podcast? And then we've had yeah, some you of those sit down people. and talk, yeah. and
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, I think through you mm-hmm. uh, on Facebook, just kind of joking and posting around. Uh, I got to be friends with Kelly Jones. Yeah, well, which, Kelly Jones it, has been
1: on our show.
0: Yeah, who is this this dude that like his alien comics, his mm-hmm. Batman stuff? It's it's insane. So you, there is still that. It's just a different like format of uh, yeah. It, <laughs> you it's know.
1: always a trade off. It's always, like you know I do miss I do miss hanging out and knowing the bar where everybody went to I was just looking on Facebook and Joe Cassada was posting all these pictures from the 90s on his Twitter
0: yeah
1: When he and Jimmy had event comics and they were kind of the most successful guys in our group like Joe and Jimmy would Come and do signings at Hank Kwan's shop, and they would have the bigger table. When we were doing Horsemen, they were doing Ash. Yeah. So like, um, they were all. It was all the parties that we wanted to be invited to. Yeah. So it was. It was this odd kind of nostalgia where they were kind of the center of the fun, and we were on kind of the outer rim of it. Yeah, yeah. But it did. It, but
0: you're still having fun being in that circle. Yeah, it You, was,
1: know? you know, but I wasn't home reading Wizard. Yeah. You know, I, uh, that was. Part of the cool thing, but so as much as it was in my circle, it was like that in a lot of the circles, and that's what we would hear about image was that it was um, once the main image guys got busy, like once Jim Lee became Wildstorm mm-hmm. and uh, Rob Liefeld became Extreme, yeah, um, they would hi- they started hiring all these guys, and some of them came up through the ranks and became big on their own right, but what we were hearing was they had the same thing they were a big room bunch of desks yeah. bunch of single young guys making each other laugh and just drawing all day and all night
0: yeah. and
1: telling each other what was cool and
0: yeah it's it's funny too to juxtapose like uh you know like the manga industry is very much the opposite where it's all about it, it used to be when manga first began it was very much about getting together with the other guys who also worked with that imprint or that publisher mm-hmm. Um, and it has just increasingly become this hugely secluded art, uh, which they're only just starting to reveal more secrets about.
1: Well, it it seems like it's got this auteur tour Yeah philosophy about it, it's like leave me alone in my quiet room. It's like Miyazaki, everybody says oh Miyazaki animates his whole film by himself and it takes him years and I'm like I'm there's It's other it's people his in the studio, yeah. yeah.
0: It's just yeah, it, it's a very different culture and there's a different sort of you want to respect boundaries right. type of thing um but i digress um so we're we're Coming up on on time here, um, but I did want to do some of those little follow up questions oh, yeah. I don't from have any before. It. It's raining. Um, it, it is, yeah. I, well, didn't, I didn't realize it until he ran to the door, and I was yeah. like, "Oh God, I need to we're do I we're about.
1: late, and my hair is flat." <laughs> it was raining, and there were no parking spots within a block.
0: Yeah, yeah. Lagrange is tough, I'm telling <laughs> you. Um, okay, so these are what if hypotheticals, okay. um, and possibly plans for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had a dream title to work on, what would it be? Fantastic Four. Really?
1: Yeah. Fantastic. I expected
0: Spider-Man.
1: For uh, some my favorite characters are Batman, and Spider-Man. They're very, very close. And yes, I have plenty of Batman ideas and plenty of Spider-Man ideas. But the book I always wanted to be on was the Fantastic Four because when it when it is done well, and I would hope I would be one of the people that did well. Sure. When it's done well, it's the best book that anyone produces. It it earned its title the world's greatest comic magazine. Mm. But. You get like that one great run every decade and then and then it's when it's off it's so often
0: yeah
1: all of the great runs of Fantastic Four are in hardcover omnibuses and I just at the time when I was breaking into comics it was not one of the heights I think it had been the last time it had been a great book was when John Byrne was doing it and all through the 90s I was like well, I'll be the next writer to come on and I and, and turn that around and yeah. I love those characters there's there's just it's the perfect balance of interpersonal dynamics and very real human characters with crazy science fiction. Yeah. On top it's got the third best Rogue's gallery in comics. Yeah. And and the four of them are so different that any pairing of them is interesting. Yeah. Like if you pair Reed and Johnny up and you pair Thing and Sue up, you have this dynamic that just sparkles.
0: Yeah. So Yeah and, and I think you get that with the idea of you know, some of them really actually being family and some of them just being family but not by blood. Right. You know, um, just that, that friendship dynamic, but it's so close that it is family. Yeah, and
1: a lot of people come in and go, well, this is the sci-fi book, this is a big idea book. And it's very easy to create, like, huge concepts and pull the characters along. Mm-hmm. But where I always think it works best is it should feel like Futurama. Where you really care about those characters, and something crazy happens on top of it.
0: Yeah, they they were the the people that you know you try out your wacky monsters yeah. and your cosmic nonsense, right? Because it fits so perfectly, and it was just that kind of camp that you you expected going into it. And a fan that reads that kind of book, that's what they want.
1: Yeah, and you can and you can get heavy and grave with it, but it's. It's it's a funny book. Yeah, like uh, you know Johnny and Thing and even yeah. Reed uh, can be really funny. I find Reed Richards is one of my favorite characters in the Marvel Universe. I think he's hilarious. Yeah, because he's just so not in the moment ever.
0: Yeah, he's. Kind of- Got a, a sort of morose humor, uh, a he's little a,
1: bit. He's just—he's uh, always off center because he's always thinking about five different things that he's never really in the room. Right. And I always thought the dynamic was that the center of that team is Sue. If Sue wasn't there, those three people would never talk to each other. Yeah. And, um.
0: Or would fight, and it would kind of start flaking. Well, apart. they would just
1: forget each other exists.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. So that
1: yeah, that would be the one book I I would still love to do.
0: Okay. I mean, you know, never say never, depending on who you talk to, right? Um, Well, that kind of leads right into the next question. Mm -hmm. Just in general, independent projects, whatever. Do you have plans to write comics again?
1: It's it's always something I love in the back of my mind, but I found that um, as long as I'm writing, if I'm writing something that's getting produced, that kind of taps my button. Because what ended up happening with um, Art Asylum was... I was writing all of their ads and all of their pitches and then I found myself in advertising. And about a year after I left Art Asylum, I was writing for IBM and I was writing for Citibank and I was writing for uh, Chase and like these huge, huge companies. Yeah, And uh, Yeah, and I've been doing advertising now for the last 17, 18 years. Um, and that tends to tap a lot of my writing buttons. Okay. Um, I took time off and uh, did stand-up because I wanted to do something more fun and then I find the podcast pushes that button. Yeah. Uh, is that I can kind of talk off the cuff and, uh, and be informative and hopefully be charming and funny uh, yeah. on a weekly basis and that taps that and then I, because I have two bands I can also get up on stage in front of people. But yeah, there's the entertainment um, aspect. Yeah, I'm not. I don't currently have like this burning comic. I I have like every writer out my bag of stuff. Sure. That if anybody ever came to me and said, "Hey, I need to fill this story. What do you have?" And I can go into going, "This is one I always liked. I'll write this."
0: Okay.
1: Um, I went into screenplays for a while. I wrote five or six of those. We had one was a finalist at a film festival. Nice. Uh, but none were ever produced. My partner had a film produced. And uh, and that became it became a thing was you get spoiled where when you're having work being produced and sometimes for me it's a website mm-hmm. or it's a YouTube video on uh, on healthcare yeah um, when you when that gets produced it it becomes less motivating to do this thing that may never see the light of day sure and you know I have I know I have like two horror movies. That are in various stages of treatment. And I'm like, oh, I should go back and write that. I'm like, and it'll go on the pile with the other four. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's
1: tough. I think if um, there's the blessing and the curse, I think of advertising. I always think of advertising as it's the way you can be a creative person with a middle class income. Yeah. Because everywhere, every other form of entertainment, you are poor or a millionaire.
0: Yeah. yeah, and and like all jobs, there's going to be good aspects about it. There's going to be boring yeah, aspects right. or frustrating aspects, you know. Um, okay, and then uh, last question I had mm-hmm. to kind of wrap us up was um, just for, we have a lot of uh, like kids and teens who will come in, especially when we have people visiting and doing signings yeah. um, that always ask about like, getting into writing or drawing in general not necessarily the industry but Mm -hmm. just like how do i get started i have an idea but like when i sit down in front of a computer it's it's like hitting a wall you know so like any advice for like young creative people who want to get into it but maybe they're scared to or they don't know Mm -hmm. where to start that kind of thing the
1: advice i wish i knew when i started was you don't start on page one and as a kid, I always just went, page one, we open on a house. Oh, yeah. God, what happens? And <laughs> the more I've been a professional writer in any medium, whether it's been in comics or comedy or um, advertising, you always start with the notes. And uh, what I always do is the f- you, you open that Word document, and you just write whatever notes you have because you have some kind of idea when you sit down to write right where you say say it's a Spider-Man where you say I want Spider-Man to fight Electro yeah and just write down Spider-Man fights Electro and then
0: and build kind and of and build from
1: there it. and like and, and don't worry about beginning middle end yet just what are the kind of things you want you want to happen in your story? It was like, oh, I think Aunt May should have a birthday party. Okay, put Aunt May birthday party. Sure. Oh, I think uh, Robert Robinson has arthritis. Uh, Robert Robinson has arthritis. Okay. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, Electro loses powers, but then he gets him back by jumping into a reservoir. Okay, write that. And they don't have to have any kind of form or order. But the thing is, um, I always say write. When you can't write, just write. When you can't write anything good, just write garbage.
0: Yeah,
1: like there are so many things
0: you want to say, stuff that's rolling through your head. Yeah, because
1: if, or... if you want to be a professional, the deadline is the most important thing. Like you have to, tr- if you don't turn it in, you will not get paid. Yeah, and you won't get further work. So, right. um, eventually, you get to the feeling of like, well, I'm not proud of this, but I have to turn in something. But when every time you come back to it, you're making it better. And there yeah. have been so many things I've written where in the middle of it, I'm like. This is the worst thing I've ever written. This isn't gonna go anywhere. I'm never gonna work again. And then I go to bed and the next morning go, Well, that thing could work and that thing could work and that thing I could change. Yeah. And
0: it's it's like a pyramid of doneness for each project, but with every, you know, lesson that you learn from that previous project, it just grows more and more to um it, it kind of solidifies the entire thing where you're like, Okay, now going in, I know what my message wants to be, and you can just get started faster.
1: Right, and don't let yourself get stuck um, because you can't think of the next thing. Yeah. If you're just laying stuff out, there's always something you can do, even if it's a second project, even if if you can't crack this Spider-Man story. You're like, ah, but I got a Captain America story. Just start writing the Captain America story and, and a lot of times when you get stuck on that, maybe you'll find a solution for your Spider-Man story. Yeah. But what I did so much when I was a kid because I was playing with the action figures, going like, and now we're going here. What happens here? I don't know, I'm gonna go get some chocolate milk.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: Instead of thinking, well, I know these things have to happen and I can work on those and then, then I can come back and connect them together. And sometimes um, you're not in a creative mood at all and you're it's just the craft and it's like well I'm gonna read through this and edit it and I'm gonna correct my spelling mistakes and I'm gonna clean up the language
0: yeah
1: uh, and you know it's what? almost
0: like you're forcing yourself into like a more of an analytical mindset as like a break and then you go back to yeah
1: because it's part of the job so yeah. it's like sometimes I my imagination isn't working at all yeah but you know my analytical side can work and and I can I can at least shape this and at least feel like I've gotten something done
0: yeah no that's great advice um well thank you for joining us uh to do this um thanks for everybody who tuned in to watch uh we are going to have uh copies of his comics here at the store including a few signed things um so feel free to come in and check those out for yourself
1: some of them are gold
0: Um, yeah there's there's gold foil editions there's ash cans there's all kinds of cool stuff um they're both really really good books really fun uh reads and um Also, please remember to check out uh, Caffeinated Comics on Facebook. Yeah, Um, we're on
1: iTunes, we're on Stitcher, and we're on Spotify if you want to subscribe.
0: Oh, there you go. We're on the Radio
1: Misfits Podcast Network. If you can go to radiomisfits.com, we're the first one on the lifestyle tab, so we're pretty easy to find.
0: Yeah, every Monday.
1: Uh, Yeah, it comes out every Monday morning. Um, We've been doing it now six years. We've done about 300 episodes.
0: Man, yeah. So make sure you check them out, and then um, don't forget to stop in tomorrow for New Comic Wednesday.
1: Danny has been doing live streams about once a week. So if you want to see them, and if you want to hear from the other guests she has, go to facebook.com/ chimera's comics and uh, you can find out when the next one is, and she's hosting them regularly. If you want to follow me, I'm at not In my book on both Twitter and Instagram. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social media. You can also go to facebook.com Caffeinated comics and that's where we post all our news. And if you are just listening to the show and you don't know how to subscribe to us, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify, and we are a proud member of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Just go to radiomisfits.com and click on the Lifestyle tab, and you can listen to every episode we've done for the last year and a half. If you want to listen to more than that, well, the archive is caffeinatedcomics.blogspot.com, where you can listen to over 300 episodes starting from the beginning of 2013. And you can listen to a new episode next week.